whichever one you like. But get to John chapter 3 today. And uh, we are, we've been doing a study of the book of John. And um, we're in a three-week series last week, today, and then finishing it next week on Easter, entitled Eternal Life. And, um, you know, I, I, I looked at some surveys, um, some polls this week. I looked at a Gallup poll. And, and a Gallup poll uh, found out that 71% of Americans um, believe in, in eternal life, believe in heaven, believe in life after death. Only 14% aren't quite sure. So they're kind of like, well, maybe could be not quite sure. Um, Barna Research Group uh, did a poll, same question, asking Americans, do you believe in life after death, heaven? And they found out about 79%. So about three-fourths of Americans believe in the afterlife, believe in heaven, believe in life after death. Um, and even, even other religions, um, 90% of Muslims believe in, in life after death. 80% of Buddhists believe in life after death. This I found interesting. Only 50%, 58% of Jews believe in life after death. And 59% of Hindus believe in life after death. So for uh, the most part, most people believe that there is life after death, that there is some kind of eternal life that's going to take place. And, and, and that's what we're looking at here in John chapter 3. And I've entitled this little mini-series Eternal Life because three times in the book of John, it mentions eternal life. So I thought, well, that would be a, probably the topic to, to zero in on is eternal life. So last week we began in John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21, it's one big, main com one big conversation that Jesus is having with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. We worked through the first 13 verses, and today we're going to go from 14 to 21. But in this entire conversation, last week, we saw that this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus and, and he was really wanting to find out a little bit more about Jesus. He, he was like, hey, how, how are you doing these signs? You know, he's like, only somebody who's with God could be doing that. Well, as you remember, I said that Jesus looked past the, the surface of, of Nicodemus. He saw Nicodemus's heart. Because when, when Nicodemus asked Jesus questions, Jesus answered him with a response that had nothing to do with his questions. Jesus is goes right to the heart of the issue on Nicodemus, and he starts talking about the kingdom of God. And he's like, Nicodemus, I see your real issue. You want to find out how do you get to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, I tell you, Nicodemus, you're not getting into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And that starts a whole new conversation with Nicodemus about, well, how do you do that? And Jesus begins to tell him, this is how this happens. Well, now, in chapter or in verse 14 through 21, Jesus keeps going deeper on this thing. Because when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that's really synonymous with eternal life. It's the kingdom of God. If you remember, I defined the kingdom of God or eternal life as simply this. It's coming into the presence of God and dwelling with God. That's eternal life. It's, it's you come into his presence, into his kingdom. It's where God dwells, which is heaven for right now. And, and, and as a believer, when you die, that's where you go. And so you come into the presence of God. You come into his kingdom. You come into his dwelling. And you will live with him forever. That's eternal life. 
And so Jesus is having this conversation with this Pharisee about the kingdom of God, about where God dwells and how you get there. And starting in verse 14, he keeps going a little deeper. He keeps driving the nail about how do you get eternal life. And so I want to look today, and we're going to drive a little bit deeper on this topic of eternal life. And so we're going to look at four more things about eternal life. And here's the first thing, and I would encourage you to take notes, have an outline, get a notebook open. But here's the first thing I want you to write down about eternal life, and it's this. Eternal life is the expression of God's actions. Eternal life is the expression of God's actions. So let's start with verse 14. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So now Jesus has been talking about some weird stuff. He's talking about being born again. He's talking about being born of the Spirit. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, by the way, he goes on talking about Moses lifting up a serpent. Now, as I, Nicodemus, I said, is a Pharisee, meaning he's a religious teacher. He knows the Old Testament. So when Jesus says this, Nicodemus would have gone, I know what you're talking about. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. But just in case you don't, this has to go back to the book of Numbers, Okay. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, I'm going to have a couple verses coming up. Here's what's going on. In Numbers, chapter 21, once again, the Israelites, this is when Moses had brought out Israel out of Egypt. And so they had been in the desert for some time. And um, how many of you remember when I was teaching the book of Exodus, the Israelites were very obedient people. They, they never grumbled about anything. They just loved being in the, You remember that when I taught that, anybody? No, not even close. The Israelites were the most grumbling people Moses ever dealt with. And guess who else dealt with? God. Okay? And, and, and they would grumble against God. They would complain against God. And time and time again, God was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to wipe you out. But Moses would intercede on behalf of the people and pray, God, don't do that. Man, that would just embarrass. That would be embarrassing to you because all the people around us know you did this. So... And here's what God would do, relent. And he wouldn't do it. So here we are in Numbers chapter 21. And guess what they're doing again? Grumbling. In fact, Numbers chapter 21, this is going to come up on the screen. Numbers 21 verse 5 says this. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, let's set that up for a moment. Um, they've been in the wilderness for some time, and if you remember when we were working through the book of Exodus, this is what they grumbled about a lot, food and water. And I get that. You're in the wilderness. You're in the desert. You're going to get hungry. You're going to get thirsty. But here's the thing. God provided for them all the time. Remember when Moses would strike a rock? Water came out. You remember they found this like oasis and it was bitter water and, and Moses struck it with a staff and it became sweet and they were able to drink it. Hey, do you remember the food that God provided for Israel? Anybody? Manna. Supernatural manna. Man, you wake up in the morning and poof, there it is. Little honey wafers, man. You didn't even have to shop for it. Just there it is. Just go out and pick enough. 
So when they said, there's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. What food are they talking about? The manna. They're like, God, we know you're doing this, but we loathe this worthless food. Now, how many know God's like, okay, I'll start giving you Big Macs then? No, here's what God does. Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. So here's what happened. So, so let me, let, hold on, let me see. Okay, so, so the people are, are, are doing all this, and God gets fed up again. And in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Nope, darn, I, I missed something. That is not what I want to read yet. Back up. So the people were complaining, worthless food. And here's what it says, that God sent fiery serpents into the people and started biting them. And people were dying. So I'm thinking rattlesnakes, okay, copperheads, any kind of poisonous snake coming. I mean, you're trying to sleep at night and you got bit. You know what? You're not running to the, the prompt care. You're, you're dying. And people were dying left and right. And then it says that the people came to Moses and they figured out why we sinned. Moses, we're sorry. We repent. Pray to God on our behalf. Now this is where I want to go. So the people are dying. Snakes are everywhere. And Moses prays to God. And this is what the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who was bitten, he who sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anybody, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So Moses has his craftsmen fashion a a serpent. And he puts it on a pole. Hey, do you know what the medical symbol is? A serpent. Interesting, isn't it? So he makes this serpent puts it on a pole, and he lifts it up. So when anybody is bitten, all they have to do is look at the fiery serpent on the pole, and they're healed. How many of you know God didn't have to do that? How many of you know when when the Jews back then were were grumbling time and time and time again, how many of you know um, God is God, and he was not obligated in one, one iota to do anything for those people. God could have let them all die in the desert. God could have, I mean, when he told Moses the first time, I'm going to wipe them out, he could have. And he could have just started over from scratch. I'm going to make a new people. I'm tired of these people. I'm gonna... God's God and he can do that, yes? Can we, can we object to God in any way? Can we say, God, you can't do that? And God, oh, okay. No, if God wants to, God will do what pleases him, right? So what he shows these people is grace and love and mercy. Because he doesn't continue to treat them as they deserve. And he gives them healing that they don't deserve. Because of his love for them. You see, here's the thing we need to see. The condition of Israel is just a piece 
of the condition of humanity. Okay? What we see Israel exhibit is what humanity exhibits because humanity has been bitten by the serpent of sin. So how Israel acted was just an outflow of their humanity. And so guess what? You and I, guess what we do? We sin because we have been bitten by the serpent of sin. And so guess what happens? We act like them, all right? But here's what, and this is the amazing thing about God, is that God looks at humanity, and again, truth time, can God, the moment you were born, you're born with a sin nature. The moment you get to that age, that that point in your life where you as a young person, now we don't know how old that is, but how many of you know there's a point in time when a, a child knows I'm lying? A child knows this is wrong. When a child knows that if I do this, I can get in trouble, that's sin. When they disobey their parents, that's sin. And how many of you know God at any point at that time could go, you know what? You sinned. I'm done with you. And not give anybody eternal life. Because God could have simply said, unless you don't live perfectly, I will give you nothing. Could God have done that? Yes. But that's not what he does. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The world referenced here is not the planet. It's the people. All right. So for God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see three attributes of God in that one verse. Love, mercy shall not perish. We should all be perishing. And you see grace that we can be saved. You see love, mercy, and grace, all of those in that verse. That's what God displays. That's what God expresses to us. We're the sinner. We deserve nothing from God, but yet God so loved us that he sent Jesus to die for us. You see, Because we are sinners, the problem with sin is this. Um, As Romans chapter 3 says, because of our sin, no one is righteous before God. No one. Because of our sin, every single one of us are all sinners. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 gives us the equation. Sin plus sin equals death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's your wage. That's what you should receive, is death. Physical death and spiritual death. But that's not what we get. You see, God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Dead in our sin, Christ dies for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, In the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. You see, you and I don't get... We, we, there's nothing you and I deserve from God. There's nothing you and I can do to earn it from God. It is a gift of God that he extends his grace and his love and his mercy to us. We are the sinners. We have been bitten by the serpent of sin. But God expresses his love, his mercy, his grace to us. And we get eternal life because of that. Here's the second thing about eternal life. Write this down. Eternal life is exclusive through a person's believing. Eternal life is exclusive through a person's believing. Now this point is vitally important for you to grasp. Because this point here is what connects you to, what connects you to eternal life. Because here's what we need to understand. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. All right? God shows mercy that no one has to perish. God, God extends grace that we can all be saved. It's out there. Salvation is out there. Forgiveness is out there. Eternal life is out there. But here's the important truth. It is not automatically appropriated to you. It's available for you, but not automatically given. You have to get it. It's sitting right here. But you have to get it. How do you get the mercy of God? How do you get that love of God? How do you get the forgiveness? How do you get that salvation? How do you get the eternal life? It's found right here by one word. Believing. Look at verse 14 again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him. Do you notice the two words, whoever? Okay? The, 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 the offering of God, of eternal life, is extensive. It is out there for everyone. Whoever. Man, woman, black, white, American, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what you have. It is for whoever. But here's the condition. What's the next word after whoever? Believes. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I would encourage you to circle the word believe every time you see it here. Again, look at verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, there it is again. There's the extensiveness of it. But here's the exclusiveness. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, there it is, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Believe, believe. Five times, believe. Now, we need to grasp what this word believe means, though. When it talks about believing in Jesus, he's not talking about just believing in facts. It's not just talking, well, I believe in the history of Jesus. I believe he truly, I believe he lived. And, and I believe that, yeah, he, you know, it's not facts. 
Belief is much more than just believing that Jesus existed. It's believing in more than just mental ideas and facts about Jesus. Belief comes from the Greek word pisteo. And we've already looked at this Greek word um, in chapter 2. But the word Greek word pisteo means to accept as true, genuine, real. It's to have a firm conviction on something to be true and worthy of one's trust. So to believe in Jesus is more than just believing in facts. It is to say, I trust in Jesus. I believe in who Jesus is. I believe in what he did. And I put my faith and my trust in him alone. Nothing else. It's having this idea that says, nothing else can save me. Only Jesus. It's kind of like if... um, you were at a, a, let's say Niagara Falls, and there was a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and there's this tightrope walker, and he goes across, you know, back and forth, back and forth, never slips, never, nothing, man. You're like, wow, this guy's really good. And then he comes back, and he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he goes, hey, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across? And you're like, yeah. And he's like, and he comes back, and he asks you again. He goes, do you believe I could do it again? And you're like, well, yeah, I believe that. And he's like, great, get in it. That's a different belief, isn't it? Because now you got to completely put yourself in his trust. you got to believe, man, I, I, this guy is who he is. This guy, if he says, he, I trust that what he says. because I. And you get in the wheelbarrow. You see, that's believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not just going, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and just continue to live. No, believing in Jesus is I get in the wheelbarrow of Jesus because I understand that there's no other way to be saved. I I understand there's no other way for eternal life. I have to believe in him, that God so loved the world, God so loved me, that he sent Jesus to die for me. And and I got to believe in him. And when I believe in him and I trust in him, I shall have eternal life. If you've never believed in Jesus... If you've never gotten past the facts about Jesus, if you've never come to the place where you have put your faith, and you notice, look at the end of verse uh, 18. It says, whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is the only way. You see, this idea of having to believe in Jesus, the exclusivity of believing in Jesus, I'm telling you, people don't like to hear. Because people want to say, well, you can get to God anyway. It doesn't matter who you believe in. It doesn't matter what you believe in. As long as your faith is sincere, it doesn't matter. So all people are going to get to God. So let's let's get off of the exclusivity. Let's all be inclusive. Well, the problem is Jesus isn't inclusive that way. He's He is he is extensive in his offer. It's for everybody. I will give, I'll give eternal life to anybody and everybody, no matter what, no matter when, no matter what you've done. I'll give it to you. You just got to believe in me. You got to believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you can't believe in me, you don't have eternal life. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, do you believe in Jesus? Not in, not in your Sunday school book, Belief. But do you trust Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus for the salvation and the forgiveness of your sins? 
It's when you believe in Jesus that you have eternal life. You see, Romans chapter 6, 23, I've already quoted that. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, just like the bronze serpent that Moses raised up, and the people, the people, if they, if they got bit, they weren't going to Joe. Hey, Joe, you got to help me. Serpents up there, man. They weren't going to, you know, the, 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 the cultural clinic going, I want to hear what the culture has to say. How do I get healed? No, no, no. They had to come to the serpent and look at the serpent and believe that thing is going to save me. And guess what? Jesus Christ, is a, that, that serpent that Moses lifted up is a picture, a type a shadow of Christ being lifted up on the cross. And so when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, as it says in verse 15, that whosoever believes in him after he's been lifted up on that cross shall have eternal life. You've got to believe in that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and you've got to place your faith in him alone for the forgiveness of your sin. Outside of that, nothing can save you. Only Believing in Jesus gives you eternal life. Here's the third thing about eternal life. Eternal life is exchanging perishing for living. It's exchanging perishing for living. Again, let's look at verse 16. We're just going to kind of rehash these again. But I want, us, I want you to see, take notice of the, the, the um, contrast in, in a couple of these words. Again, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes him should not perish, but have eternal life. See the contrast? Perish, eternal life. Contrast. And then he goes on. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See the contrast again? Condemned, saved. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned. See the contrast? Not condemned, condemned. You see, this shows us a very vital truth, and the vital truth is this. Um, physically, you're all going to die. Every one of us in this room will die one day. And this is the vital truth that we got to grasp. When you die physically, you're going to go, your body will go into the ground, but the real you, your spirit, that's who you really are. You are a spirit that dwells in a body. The body goes into the grave, but you, your spirit, is going to go to one or two places. You will have eternal life, and you will go into the presence of God. You will go into his kingdom, and you will dwell with God forever. That's eternal life. That's one place you will go. Or eternal separation, eternal condemnation, eternal suffering, eternity in hell. Can I tell you, um, when I was doing this message, I really wrestled with whether I should say that word or not hell because that's a word that does not fly over in our our culture today hell is a word that people in fact the, the 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 gallup poll that i quoted to you earlier more people believe less in hell 
than they do heaven. More people believe that, that no, hell is, is really for really bad people. Because I'm telling you, you go to any funeral, and it doesn't matter how really, the, unless the person was just, I mean, Uncle Joe was just the most bitter, angry, I mean, he was just ugly and nasty. He's in hell. But Aunt Martha, well, she was so good. And she just, she loved her flowers. And, you know, she was kind to, and she gave, she gave nickels to all the kids. Aunt Martha's in heaven today. But Aunt Martha never went to church. Aunt Martha never had no relationship with, with God, but she was just a good person. You go to almost any funeral, nobody goes to hell. Only really bad people do. So people believe in hell to an extent, but for the most part, we just don't believe in it. Can I be honest with you? I even think in the church, we've lost the sting of hell. Like I said, I was wondering, should I say it or not? And here's why. We have been conditioned as Christians to do not offend me. If you offend me, I'll walk out. Hell is offensive. And a lot of people are going there. I'm telling you, just listen to some of the mainstream preachers today. I mean, listen to them. And ask yourself, when was the last time you heard some of them preach on hell? Never. Because we're too busy preaching and teaching people how to have your best life now. How to get all your dreams come true now. How to have God have, you know, he's, a, he's the breakthrough God. He's the, the, the God that's going to make your life so good and everything grand in your life. We're too busy preaching and teaching that. And I'm telling you, there are people sitting in churches who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, who are not hearing, if you do not believe in Jesus, you do not have eternal life. And Jesus makes it very clear here. And this is not the only time that Jesus talks about the contrast between heaven and hell. In fact, do you know that Jesus talked and preached more on hell than he did heaven? Hell is going to be a very real place. And as I studied this, the more I thought about it, it really kind of put a fear in me. It's a very real place place you see this is why Jesus came God sent Jesus in this world not to this he didn't come to do anything for us truly physically he didn't come to give us more money he didn't come to heal us physically. He didn't come to give us all of our dreams. No, he came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save sinners. Save sinners from what? If, if you were drowning in the ocean and, and you were telling your friends the lifeguard saved me. And they're like, saved you from what? Would you go, oh, he saved me from the long line at the donut shop. Oh, he saved me from, from making a financial disaster, buying a car that I should. No, no. You would be like, I was drowning and I had one more grasp of air before another wave took me under. And he reached down and he grabbed me and put me on his board and he saved me. 
That's what Jesus come to do. And he's come. He came with a message. And he came with a message to tell people, you're sinners. And your sin separates you from God. You've got to come, repent of that sin, and have eternal life. And that eternal life comes through me. And the only way that comes through me is by believing in me. Now, I know some people want to say, you know, I just can't believe that God sends anybody to hell. I mean, that, a loving God sending people to hell, that just doesn't compute with me. I just can't believe that. Now, here's what we need to understand. How many of you truly understand that God is not willy-nilly just, I think I'm going to send that person to hell. Hope, you're off to hell. No, no. You see, the Bible makes it very clear. Like in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord's patient with you. He's patient the fact that you're a sinner and you keep messing up. You keep sinning. And he's patient and he's patient. But his patience is going to come to an end because that means one day you will die. But he, he gives you a chance after chance and time after time to come to the place to repentance. Because it says, Peter says, he wants no one to perish. He doesn't want, and hell was not meant for people. Hell was meant for de the devil and his demons. People are going to hell, not because God is sending them there, because we're choosing to go there. We've got to understand that. Jesus has presented a message to people. He has given a message that is extensive to all people. The only exclusive thing he says is, you have got to believe in me. And people are saying, I don't want to. I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I like my life. I don't want to surrender my, my, my will to his because, well, he's going to make me do things, so I don't want to do that. People are putting their trust in themselves. We, we put our trust in what the culture keeps saying and repeating. Hey, as long as you're good, as long as you're nice, as long as you're kind, as long as you treat people right, as long as you're generous and you give to charity, man, you will go to heaven. But yet Jesus says, narrow is a gate. And that gate is so narrow, and it leads to a road. And that road is eternal life. And only a few people are finding it. But wide is another gate and another road. And that road leads to eternal death. And many are finding it. Because people don't want to accept what Jesus is saying here. People don't want to believe, I got to believe in Jesus. We want to believe in self. We want to believe in what the world says and what the culture says. And that's what I'm going to agree with. And I'm telling you, there are people even in churches. Number one, not even hearing a message like this. Number two, hearing a message like this and still refusing it. 
And there will be people who will stand at the great white throne judgment at the very end of time. And they will give an account for their life. And their name will not be found written in the Lamb's book of life because they chose not to believe in Jesus. And at that time, Jesus describes this in the book of Matthew, that there will be a time where sheep will be put off to the right and goats will be put off to the left. Sheep are symbolic for the righteous and the believers. Goats are symbolic for sinners and unbelievers. And the righteous will be separated and be, and be with him, but the goats will be separated unto eternal death. It is very real. When you die, you don't get a second chance. You don't get a second round. You don't get another attempt at this thing. The book of Hebrews says, when you die, you're appointed onto to, to this life. You're appointed onto death once. And then after that, it's onto judgment. So if you're going to get it right, you've got to get it right now. And if you want to have a time to believe in Jesus, you need to do it now. Because the reality is, you don't know when God's going to go, give me back my breath. And that heart's going to beat for the last time. And your body's going to be laid in that coffin. And your spirit is going on to eternal, either to eternal life or to eternal death. And Jesus tells us how to have eternal life and avoid the negative. Believe in him. And then here's the fourth thing about eternal life. And this kind of just bleeds right from point number three. Eternal life is embracing the truth of Christ. It's embracing the truth of Christ. Look at verse 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. So Jesus is saying, here's why people are judged. Here's why people don't have eternal life, basically. And it's this. The light has come into the world. He's describing himself. Jesus says, I'm the light. I've come into the world. I've come to people. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see, Jesus is like, basically, people don't want to hear the truth. People don't want to hear, you got to believe in Jesus. They don't want to hear that he's the only way, the life. They don't want to hear it. And that what they're going to do, they're going to stay in darkness. Because the truth is light. And it's going to expose you. It's going to expose where your faith is. It's going to really expose what you believe in. And people who don't want to hear the truth pull away from it. And they stay in their darkness. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be, cl be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, Jesus is again saying there's going to be people who will re refuse the light and walk away from it. Here's the truth. No, I don't want to hear the truth. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. But then there are people who hear the truth and go, I'm going to do the right thing and go to the truth. Respond to that truth. Embrace that truth. And here's the truth. I've already said it. This whole message is about, about the truth. 
The truth is this. You either have eternal life or you'll have eternal death. The truth is Jesus is the only way. There is no way. There's nothing you can do. And the truth is you either have to believe or you will not believe in Jesus. You get to set your fate. Your fate is not already set in stone. You get to choose. Do you want to believe in Jesus or do you not? Do you want to accept the truth about Jesus or do you not? Do you want eternal life or will you have eternal death? That's your choice. Those are your options. My prayer is this, that if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have never come to the place, and I'm not talking about, well, Jim, I've gone to church for 25 years. Have you ever accepted Christ? See, here's how you know if you've come to know Christ as your Savior. You should have a conversion story. Now, everybody's conversion story is different. I'll give you mine. I grew up here in Woodhall, and I attended the, the Presbyterian Church in, in Woodhall until I was 17. And then my mom and dad got saved, and they started attending the Assembly of God Church in, in, in um, Alpha, and I went there for about a year until I joined the Navy. Now, my parents would say that I accepted Christ when I was young. I don't know. All I know is I didn't live it. It didn't change my life. It wasn't until I came back here to Woodhall after about seven years of being gone. And um, I was partying, hanging, just doing everything and anything I wanted. And it wasn't until my dad invited me to church, I finally came to church in that foyer in 1992. And I heard a message just like this. Now, I can't tell you exactly what the message was, but I do know this. It pierced my heart because it was at that time when I truly believed that I gave my life to Christ. Not some religious thing. Well, I'm in church. No, I came to the place I repented of my, I'm not perfect by any means, but I repented of my sin. I confess, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I want to live for you. And from that moment on, I've tried my best to live as godly as possible. My life has changed. I'm not the same man. I'm not even close to what I was in 1992. That's how you know if you are truly saved. You have a conversion story. You should be able to look at your life and go, you know what? I remember when... I looked like this. I lived like this. I acted like this. I behaved like this. And then I heard Jesus Christ's message. I heard the truth about Jesus, and I asked him into my life. I accepted Christ into my life, and my life has been different. Not perfect, but it's different. It's different because he came in my life, and he changed me. If you can't say that, you don't have a conversion story. And if you don't have a conversion story, more than likely, you don't have Jesus. What you have is your religion. You have your good works. You have your self, whatever. You have all of that, but you don't have the one thing to give you eternal life, and that is Christ. If you don't have a conversion story, you can get one today. 
And you can come to the place where you like, Jesus, come into my life. Save me today because I am a sinner. Amen. Will you just bow your heads? Just stay there in your seat. As the worship team gets ready to come up, I just want you just to just have a time, just you and God right now. You know, I, I, I can't stand up here and I cannot look into your heart. I can't tell you who are truly believers in here and who are not. But right now I know Jesus is piercing into your heart. Right now I know Jesus knows exactly who are his believers and who are not. Right now I know Jesus knows exactly who has eternal life and who doesn't. So I'm just going to give you one opportunity today. And just like me, maybe this is your day where you're like, you know what, I, I, I grew, I've, grown up, I've grown up in the church. I know a lot of religious stuff, but I'm just living for self. I'm just living from, I'm just a sinner living. So if you don't know Christ today and you would like to accept him as your savior, I would just ask, just raise your hand because I want to pray with you. I, I don't want you to go home today not knowing for sure. Because like I said, you don't, you don't know your next moment. I'm just going to leave it sit, let it sit here for a second. Okay, let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You love everybody in this room. While we are still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And we know, Lord, your word says we're only saved by grace and not by works. It is a gift from you. And so, Lord, I would pray that even as we close with this song, Lord, I would pray that we who are believers would sing this song to say, I believe in Jesus with all of our heart. But, Lord, maybe if there would be anybody in here who still does not know Jesus, that, Lord, even while we're singing this song, they would just come to that place of saying, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. I need you as my Savior. And so, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will just continue to work in hearts as we get ready to close. In Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand and close with this last song?